This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, March 14th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Spring football starts this Thursday on St. Patrick's Day. Nording, of course, women's and men in the NCAA tournament. Nording baseball has risen to number one in the country after another sweep on the road. But let's start with, uh, well, obviously, we're going to get into a lot of spring football, our questions in segment two, but Jarrett Patterson's surgery on Friday was conducted by Dr. Brian Radigan. By all accounts, everything went without a hitch. Uh, he's going to be starting rehab probably today, which he won't be looking forward to because he's going to be in a lot of pain when they start rehab. Uh, but about six weeks of relative inactivity, and then they'll start to ramp it up. And by all expectations, from what I'm told, uh, if there are no snags along the way, he should be ready to go for the Ohio State game on September 3rd. I mean, he's as diligent, uh, I guess, I guess a member of the roster as I think Notre Dame has. So I, I would expect him to kind of be one of those ahead of schedule rehab guys, um, you know, and again, it's like what we talked about in last week's podcast. It's not, you know, the, the surgery sucks and the injury sucks, but it's the sort of the loss of training time or the, um, the fact that you have to alter your training time or your load along the way that that's difficult. So hopefully he can get back and get some like live stuff in for camp um, opposed to we're talking about Jared Patterson on, um, you know, a pitch count in August. Um, Cause if that's the case then that, that just, that creates another level of difficulty to um, you know, what's going to be a, a difficult rehab. Just talking to two doctors on it. It was uh, it's an injury that is very difficult for human beings. Uh, student athletes in Notre Dame are a little bit, better shape than regular human beings. But he said the main problem is it lingers a lot. Um, very tough recovery. Uh, actually, the word tough is used three times. Tough surgery, tough recovery. And uh, four to six months for civilians, so he'll at least be able to give it a shot. But the recovery, um, I, I don't know if it's like – it's not like the, the the broken foot of Austin where if they say if you don't have surgery, you're going to re-break your foot. Remember, we were told he's going to re-break his foot. There's no reason he should right. have surgery. This is right. at least the tough surgery part seems over as, as Tim reported. I mean, that, yeah, part and, part that seems over, you know, the whole idea of him being ahead of schedule. I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but we know that when he was coming off the foot injury, he was, he ended up being way ahead of schedule uh, with that. So that was an awful one. That the Liz Frank one is what we've talked about here. Yeah. before. Ron Jones, I mean, Ron Jones. Still, had. Yeah. 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 So that's good news. Um, and so we'll see how that progresses. We won't have a blow by blow account of his progression. Good uh, <laughs> coming back from the the torn pack, but uh, Friday's podcast won't include uh, what's going on in the next two days for Jarrett Patterson. No, yeah, I, I think we'll we'll let him. I, I do not envy. I do not envy the start of his rehab this week. I, I that that will not be that will not be pleasant out of the gate. But uh, but he will recover, and he you know. I mean, the the few times that we've been around Jarrett Patterson, he's a pretty no nonsense guy and doesn't make excuses for for anything. And and um, you know because and Pete, you know this too that uh, he he played he played in pain during the twenty twenty one season from that foot injury. So, um, you know, so we'll 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 uh, we'll keep you apprised of uh, that situation, but let him uh, get rolling with that. Spring football, as I said, starts on Thursday. And I know one of the questions that we had in segment two from Matt 0315 was uh, if we had heard uh, if any of the young players had impressed. And so we're going to go ahead and address that in segment one here. And, um, you know, 
let me just throw out a couple names. And, and I, one important that I think is very important is cornerback Jaden Mickey. We've heard nothing but great things about him, about his speed uh, and his ab- adaptation to, uh, to what they've been doing in the strength and conditioning. Jaden Mickey could end up playing with the issues that they have at cornerback. Uh, don't want to jump the gun here, but they've been happy with what they've seen of him. Uh, also, no, also Nolan Ziegler, Ziegler, I'm sorry, who, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's very athletic as, as uh, maybe not quite anticipated. His competitive level is, is great. I, not that he wasn't athletic, but uh, I, I think that they've seen him as a guy that's even more athletic than they, than they anticipated. Pete, have you heard about any, uh, any of the younger guys? Uh, uh, Burnham to Josh Burnham is another yeah, one. Yeah, Burnham, who I mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago. It, it's interesting because I had actually kind of heard that Ziegler and Steed had had struggled a little bit early in winter conditioning, but that was that could be six weeks ago now. So you know, guys sort of click in at different times and figure out what they need to do. So, uh, but of all the guys, Burnham is the one that I probably heard the most good things about. I with Shrout, with Shrouth being, even though he hasn't been drilling everything um, has really impressed some of the veterans on the roster with how mature he is. Well, we all know Shroud is the best in the history of our podcast right now because we love Bill Shroud. But yeah, I heard a lot of Friday night, actually, before a uh, crushing defeat, I did uh, grade school defeat. I did hear uh, quite a few compliments about Joshua Burnham and uh, his absolute voracious intensity, quote unquote, working out. So uh, that should bode well. He's a confident kid, too, after talking to him. I think we all expect um, Sneed to to be impressive athletically, right? He will be. <laughs> he, he he will be without a doubt. But it, I think it's just a size issue. At least that's what you know. That's what I'm hearing now. And and Tim, we commented on that. We talked about that when he came in for an interview. It's like, and we knew he wasn't. We knew he didn't come in at 220 or 215 right. or anything right. like that. He's he's around 200, if not a little bit less than that. So that's. That's just one snag there. I, I hear that they're very impressed with Jadarian Price's athleticism, which wouldn't come as a as a real surprise per se. Price, uh, Price was the other one that I got feedback on that, like, you know, you guys are going one, two, three with the obvious one, two, three. He's like, once they put those pads on, you might have a, a different type of one, two, sure. three, A and B. So Sure. I've also heard good things about Jaden Bellamy, but. You know, size, and again, this isn't a huge surprise. Size is a little bit of an issue. Is he big enough to play safety? Does he have to play corner? I think ideally they want him at safety, but he has to have the stature and the physicality to do that as well. Didn't he seem small to you as well? I mean, I guess I sure. knew. Oh, no doubt. There's I, I no knew doubt. Jaden Mickey was small, so it never like popped into my head when we talked. I, I knew Jaden Mickey was a smaller guy just from his he's, his measurables didn't lie or anything like yeah, that. Right. I was a little surprised. I thought Bellamy was a little. And Bellamy, this was also six weeks ago, but Bellamy thought he might be starting out at corner out of need. Remember they've kind of unexpectedly lost or not unexpectedly, but lost Jojo Johnson. So when numbers break down and you got to line up, you start somewhere, but that's what the spring's for, right? Two weeks in, you can say, Nope, we want him in safety or oh, yeah, we want him in corner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know these people, cause like the subtext of these questions is like who might contribute early or like who's going to be an immediate impact. Like, I don't think there's any Blake Fisher in this group. Um, and I go back to three years ago when I was talking to a coach about this, this question. And he said, that, you know, the two guys who have really impressed me in the weight room so far um, were Jack Kaiser and Kyron Williams. Um, Kaiser ended up having surgery, redshirted. Kyron Williams was not in shape to play, redshirted. But so it's like 
I think both those guys, obviously one is in the NFL draft. The other one is probably going to be a, a captain at some point down the road as a real co- good college player. Like at this point, they, if you can just sort of check a box, like we like you long-term, that's, right. that's more important yeah. than Josh Burnham. Like how many snaps is he going to play? He could play zero. That's he- fine. It, they, like they just they like what they see over the long haul. Yeah, those kind of pr- snap projections before they've even started spring practice is just a a shot in the dark. Now, have you you mentioned Fisher, but I mean we weren't talking about Fisher pre first practice of the spring. No, nope. we we definitely were not. We definitely were not talking about it. it was and I, I just I, I mean everything that I've come to hear about Blake Fisher was that you know the coaching staff was a little bit surprised at just how good he was last spring about for me it was how technically sound he was as a pass blocker I mean because you expect a young guy you know still a should be a senior in high school he's on the practice field in spring practice and there's got to be some anxiety so you lunge or you do some things that aren't fundamentally sound and we saw everything that that was very very fun fundamentally sound with him so I my only point is that um, you know, we still don't know about a lot of these guys until they get into spring practice and you see them run around a little bit on the football field. I think we joke about this and exaggerate a little bit. Blake Fisher kind of ruined our springtime ascent of, uh, of, of Isaiah Foskey when we all had our stories ready about Isaiah Foskey stepping up. I remember Pete asking Brian Kelly, was like, eh, it hasn't been that great, really. And it's, you know what? He was running into some Blake Fisher, too, and I bet they expected right. Isaiah Foskey to look right. a little better. Obviously, we didn't, it worked out pretty well for Isaiah Foskey. We didn't make that. We've caught, we've caught a lot of heat about the comments that we made about Foskey during the spring. We didn't make it up. No, no, no. Was, I mean, and, and actually, Elston didn't give him glowing reviews either, remember? He, he yeah. right. tackles, and um, he was the nose tackles and defensive tackles. Right. Came on very strong when it really mattered um, in the fall. Um NCAA tournament women get a five seed. They play UMass in Bridgeport. Notre Dame gets an 11 seed, but it's a play-in game with a with what could be a tough out uh, in Rutgers. Um, they they have to go to Dayton to open up the season or open open up postseason, and then a victory sends them to San Diego to play against um, Alabama. Just your guys' thoughts on. How the ACC tournament transpired, Rutgers, Alabama. I was I was surprised um, how Notre Dame came out and almost didn't show against Virginia Tech in the first half. Um, and then I watched two more nights of Virginia Tech and I was like, oh, well, maybe Virginia Tech is just like the hottest team in America right now. So I, you know, it's like you look at the totality of the season you know, they went 15 and three on a run during the, during the eighth, not, it included some non-conference stuff, um, you know, where they really sort of got their feet under them. And then you look back and they're like, well, they, they beat three NCAA tournament teams during that 15 and three stretch. And one of them was Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So, you know, the ACC was way down the seedings, uh, proved that other than the, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, bump for some reason that I don't quite understand. Um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's like Notre Dame's back in it. I think that we're beyond the whole, like the first four doesn't feel like he actually made the NCAA tournament. Um, Cause I think what it was Michigan state and UCLA played a first yeah, four game UCLA, last year. Yeah. yeah. UCLA uh, went Virginia to the final four. Um, Commonwealth made their run from the first. Four right. Too. So, I mean, they're in it. Um, they needed to be in it 
scrape and claw and it did not matter how they made it in it. Um, they just had to be a participant this year. Uh, and they are just barely, but they are. And they kind of got to win this game too. I mean, it would be, you win this game and then there's just, you, you gathered a little momentum back for a basic no-show against Virginia tech and Pete, you make a great point that like Virginia tech rolled through the tournament, but that doesn't mean you get steamrolled to start the game when it's very important. No, 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 no. Kentucky it's just like, I, team I just viewed it differently yeah. after I kept watching them. I'm like, Oh, yeah. wait a minute. They're, we knew they're really Virginia good. Tech was really good from, from covering them. I, twice, but I, was I think Mike, Mike Young's a hell of a coach. We said that we said that, Last, last week, I mean, the, he last, is a hell of a coach. I mean, they were beating up a Notre Dame team that wanted no part of them last year, and also yeah. I suppose last week. But you got to be able to beat Rutgers, man. I don't care what the tough matchup is. If they have older guys and if they've beaten five quality teams, it's Rutgers. You got to beat Rutgers, right? And it's a you pick them game. It is, now we pick them game. You do. Rutgers did beat four straight top fifteen teams <laughs> yeah, in February. February. Yeah. yeah, but it, you uh, know, all Big still, Ten teams. Yeah, they lost plenty of games. You can't. I mean. If you think that's impressive, you know who Alabama beat this year, by the way? I looked this up for musings. Arkansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Houston, LSU, and Tennessee. Oh, okay. Baylor and they, Gonzaga out of conference. They well, they beat. did They did that early. Uh, they're six and seven in their last 13 games. Okay. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely does. Well, I, I but I keep getting <laughs> – we keep hearing about Notre Dame in December. We keep relitigating yeah. December. We've been relitigating December – for the last two and a half months, they did not play well then and should have with a veteran team, but they won 18 out of 22 to put themselves in, in the NCAA tournament. We have a question from Cosmic Debris that we're going to ahead and include in this segment. It was, how surprised are you? Notre Dame ended up having to play a play-in game Wednesday night as opposed to being selected into the field 64. I think a lot of it was tied to one of our subscribers said this as well. Richmond, a six seed, defeated Davidson. Uh, and and so that contri- probably contributed to Notre Dame being a play in. Uh, although Pete, as you said, they were they were the last uh, at large berth to get in there. But also Virginia, I mean Virginia Tech wasn't in the tournament uh, and could have could have lost to Clemson, but they didn't. Um, but they wouldn't be in the tournament. And so, but they yeah they wouldn't have <laughs> been in the tournament. So some so some things happened over the course of the weekend that helped push Notre Dame uh, in that direction, but they played lousy in, in December and they played my, I guess my original point is they played lousy in December and played great down the stretch. Alabama was lights out in December and they've lost seven of their last 13 games. So I don't know. I mean, what's better. I I, I think, you know, I mean, playing better basketball, though, Notre Dame didn't play good basketball at all against Virginia tech a little bit in the second half, at least they started playing some defense in the second half and they still gave up 42 yeah. or 45 in the second half. Yeah. Virginia was Virginia Tech was they were I mean they were outstanding for four days. I either, we either said this or wrote this last week. Starting with Virginia Tech, every game you're going to be in a tough matchup for Notre Dame because they don't have interior defense that can stop enough right. athletes. And all of a sudden, this field of 64 seems to have some teams that aren't like Georgia Tech. So every game is going to be tougher. Yeah, Rutgers has a 6'11 shot blocker, um, so he will cause some problems. And Ron Harper Jr. is there their best player. And he's got the clutch gene. If you saw the end of the Purdue yeah. game that, during the regular season, he's, I, uh, he's pretty outstanding. Uh, Rutgers is uh, very poor on the road. So that's a good thing. They're a really good home team this year that, you know, you, you look at records and look at who they beat and things you think, well, 
it, it does matter a lot. Teams that are really good at home, I mean, Notre Dame knows this very well, right? Notre Dame used to roll through seasons, never losing at home, and then get out there in your neutral site game and all of a sudden, right. not, not the same. Yeah, thing. and I mean, Rutgers is largely built upon what they do at home. That has always been a difficult place for, for right. teams to go in and play, not just for Notre Dame, but for, for a lot of other schools as well, including Purdue this past during this season. So, um, you know, the, you're right, Tim. You have to beat Rutgers. Uh, they have the late game Tuesday night, which I love. Wednesday night. <laughs> I mean, when, I'm sorry. Wednesday night. Yes, thank you. Wednesday night. Very, very ugly offseason if they lose to Rutgers. Well, there's, yeah, there's no no way well, around that. They really need to. For people that care about the basketball program, I don't mean to casual person, but. No, I just, I, I don't want to step on a question in the second segment about recruiting and, and where that's going, but. I, if they lost to Rutgers, but Blake Leslie came back, I don't know why that would be an ugly offseason. It was it was a very disappointing year. Yeah, me. because everything because they were eighteen and four, and everything was going pretty well going into the, the ACC and the head, tournament. And, the and then they they're going to play into April. Yeah, the perception like it's a game by it's a game by game perception in Oregon basketball yeah. when it. When they lose like they did against Virginia Tech, the 18 wins in the previous 22 games is thrown out the window by right. by those that comment on – that have a commentary on Northern basketball. I, I get it. You can lose to Alabama, who has beaten Gonzaga, Baylor, and those other – and Tennessee. You should not lose to Rutgers with what you have on Notre Dame's roster and a team that believed it could play in April. Yeah, Alabama averages 80 points a game, by, by the way. Um, they're not a very good – they're a poor three-point shooting team, but I think they just make up for that with just sheer athleticism. They're, they're going nine deep. They got a guy back from, from injury early in the season. They're going nine deep now. They're very guard-oriented, although they're not They're not a really – they're a 30% three-point shooting team. They're a 55% shooting team inside the arc in the last month. Right, so that's right. So yeah. They'll, yeah. they'll play good Notre Dame that way. All right, we'll be back. Segment two, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Go Irish 3590 if you're Marcus Freeman, what's one question on offense and one question on defense that you want answered coming out of spring ball? I would, I would keep it basic with defense. Like I would just, I want to see Al Golden run a college defense for the first time in what ten years. Um, and then offensively, I, I think I would just like to see how the coaches are communicating with Reese being the only holdover from the previous staff. Um, so, yeah, I, I, if I was Marcus Freeman, I would just like to get the operations down uh, at the beginning of spring ball. Um, at the beginning, yeah, I agree. I think you have some questions in the secondary to uh, with enough people for competition there. You'd like, I mean, you'd like to see Ramon Henderson and Brandon Joseph ascend to that job, right? I mean, I, I, I'm writing about this in Monday Musings, but Houston Griffith and DJ Brown are quality reserves if they can be made reserves. You have. 2000 college snaps in your reserve safety <laughs> that come in and help your team play. I mean, but it's, you don't want, you, you just don't want either one of them as a full-time, they're not going to be full-time safety, but 
I think it'd be great if those two are your quality reserves that really hold things down back there, then you have something on the back end, but they have to lose the job or the other guys have to win the job for that to happen. If we're drilling down a little bit. Yeah. I think defensively it's just, yeah, you want L golden to have 15 opportunities on the practice field to determine what his personnel is, where are the strengths, where are the weaknesses, who can, who can we use here? Who can we not use there? Those kind of things. And then, you know, I mean, he's going to use three and four man fronts. So you want to get all that communication, yeah. all that, um, you know, all the verbiage and everything that you need down on that. So I, that, that is more of a, let's see what we have and, and um, you know, let's settle in a little bit offensively. I, I would be more specific and say, man, you got, you better, you got to come out of the spring feeling better about your, receiving core than you do right yeah. now I, I you know I'm not sure that it takes a whole lot to to feel better than you do right now about it but you need a Deion Colsey you want to come out of the spring with Marcus Freeman saying you know what Deion Colsey took the next step and we like Lorenzo Styles and Avery Davis is will be fine he'll be healthy and we'll, we'll be able to count on him when you can start making statements about guys like that you can feel a lot better about the wide receiver core than you do right now Question from M. Lindbergh, outside of Tyler Buckner, clearly taking the next step. What should fans be looking for this spring that says, wow, this team is elevating its ceiling? Is that even possible, or are we just biding our time until fall camp? I think you touched on it Man, think- with Colsey in, in some way. If you, if you come out of the spring and think to yourself, holy cow, Styles and Colsey, everything is advertised, and Colsey caught up to, you know, Pete had talked about, he talked her from some people inside the Goog that is his compete level where it needs to be like Lorenzo Styles is. Um, I think Jarrett Patterson said about Lorenzo Styles when we talked to him in February, that's a dude that I saw him out there right away and thought, okay, he's going to help us. He's just going to help us. And he wasn't even in early. You know, this is, it's a unit that Tyler Buckner cannot ascend to what he can be if he doesn't have more than Lorenzo Styles out there. So that would be, playmakers would be something for me outside of Michael Mayer and Lorenzo Styles. I would start first with Colsey. I actually uh, talked to Kevin Austin last week and I asked him like, you know, who's essentially, who's the next you, who replaces you. And he was like, you know, well, the team's got Braden Lindsay and Joe Wilkins and Avery Davis and Lorenzo styles. So, you know, I really like that group of guys when I think what you're, what Notre Dame needs to hear is Deanne Colsey being part of that group. So that would be, I think if you looked at all the players on the roster, who would, you know, who are the guys who would change my perception of what Notre Dame football can be in the fall? Deion Colsey would be on that list. Uh, Brandon Joseph would be on that list. Um, you know, is there a freshman or sophomore corner out of nowhere? That would that would impact my dis- my sort of perception. But um, like Colsey would be a guy that would be like, okay, this maybe this team's a little bit different than I thought at the start of spring ball. And some consistency out of Braden Lindsay. He's now in his fifth year or will be entering his fifth year in a program. And, you know, if you can count on him on a weekly basis, which has that ever been the case, maybe in November of a couple of years ago when he, when he took some steps forward and, and um, had the, had the great game to end the regular season at Stanford. That is uh, Tim, that is the last time he was explosive on the field is the second half of 19. Now 20 is not his fault. He had a hamstring injury the whole time but I mean last year he made a great play against Cincinnati people forget for a touchdown because he's the only guy on the team that made a great play that day so it really (laughs) kind of impacts your memory of Braden Lindsay but that was a nice catch that was a really nice play that he needs to make more of 
he still never looked like Braden Lindsay from his redshirt freshman season. Did you yeah. think? I, I, when you say explosiveness, say what, what came to mind was uh, like he carried the ball four times against Stanford in 2019. Yeah, yeah. And one or he two did. of those, it was like, wow, okay, there's that, there's that burst. But I, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with what you're saying that we really haven't, we haven't no. seen that. And 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 you know, no level. I mean, string some games together. He he need they need him to be able to string games together, uh, not just hit and miss week to week. Next from Wash ND, rank the following in terms of which is most likely to occur by the end of spring. A, Tyler Buckner is named the starting quarterback. B, Barnes or Phillip Riley seizes the starting cornerback spot from Clarence Lewis. And C, Jalen Sneed is in the two deep at Rover. So I, I thought this is a pretty interesting question because um, it's kind of difficult. I mean, I don't think you name a – Right. You can't, you can't name a starting quarterback. Because that jeopardizes, may perhaps jeopardizes the future of Drew Pine. Although I think Drew Pine's smart enough to realize that he's one snap away. So yeah. he'll sit, sit tight. But I also don't think that you're going to name a starting quarterback at the end of the spring because of the situation. Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley, I, I, unseating a starter in the spring, uh, you know, again, I thought there were times where Lewis played well last year but the memory is is the fiesta bowl and that will remain the memory and i guess ryan barnes was probably the closest yeah well he uh, was then because he because he played against uh, played against oklahoma state jalen sneed i I, who else i mean who would be the backup to kaiser the tello would be the thought process since he's not necessarily working with all right you know and and and, uh but patello can't cover um, at the rover position, the way you need to. So it's a, he would, he's like a a very strange piece that you, that you should be able to find a spot for, but it's not easy, right? I mean, yeah. Jordan Patello cannot cover like a rover, but he could help you out there in space. Jordan Patello probably can't line up one on one and pass rush like a viper, but he can help you attacking the line of scrimmage. He's just whatever he's listed as. Hopefully, he plays fifteen snaps a game early on, and you see him grow, and then it becomes a bigger role. I don't even know. He can't cover it, Rover. That's ridiculous. There's no chance Jordan Patello can go cover downfield. Pete, what's what's the most likely of those three scenarios? I feel like Sneed one, Buckner two, Riley Barnes three. Um, I think that, look, I get it. Clarence Lewis, Lewis had a really bad Fiesta Bowl. Um, and Cincinnati, right? But did anyone, other than Braden Lindsay, who you noted, um, I don't know if anyone else played very well against Cincinnati. Right. So I, I think Clarence Lewis is an okay college cornerback. Um, we don't really know a damn thing about Philip Riley and Ryan Barnes. So I think we're, we, you're venturing into shiny new toy syndrome with that. Um, so, but you know, if, if Buckner emerged from spring as a starting quarterback, that would not blow me away at all. Um, no, that's just semantics, right? That's, and, what, that's and, what, what I was guessing. I'm not going to name him, but. I, that's what I was going to say. I think he, I think he definitely wins. Yes. I think he clearly wins the job this spring without it being said, but just like without if, it, yeah. if Riley rises up and beats out Clarence Lewis, Marcus Freeman is not going to show up after the blue goal game and go, well, we found ourselves a field corner. It's just not the way it works, but you can hear behind the scenes that things have changed. Buckner's Buckner better win the starting job in the coach's minds. And I think, I think Buckner is, has already begun the process of winning the starting job based upon what we're hearing about how he's throwing the football, et cetera, et cetera. That's good. 
what are we doing here if not right yeah exactly bill v6118 asks which offensive lineman will benefit the most from harry he stands coaching all of them to some extent but which one the most yeah I- I get this question a lot in like my mailbag callouts, and I don't ever know how to answer it. So, O'Malley, maybe you've got something good for you. I know why you get the question because they want you to say Tosh Baker. No. Okay. They want you to say the guy that didn't look good that was highly rated. Was not reading between the lines properly, apparently. Um, Tim, you made a good point. It was going to be Jarrett Patterson, actually. He was probably going to be Jarrett Patterson. Um, I'm going to go with Blake Fisher. Best player and a great offensive line coach. And Blake Fisher has miles to go before he's as good as we think he can be because it's all about consistency. And I think that's what Harry Easton can get out of him a year a year ahead of time than he would have had if there was no Harry Easton. Yeah, I didn't like I didn't really consider Fisher all because they're kind of savants and and they're going to progress. They'll progress even more in their Harry Easton. The first guy I would mention would be Again, somebody that the fans don't want to hear, but I would say Josh Lug because Josh Lug is an experienced football player um, and a little bit of tweaking here and there. Maybe he can be a, a, a better experienced football player. So I would say him for, I, you know, I mean, you can pretty much name anybody. I Andrew Kristoffic made yeah. progress last year, but he needs to make more progress to, to hold down the starting job. I'm sure Harry Heastan has some ideas for Zeke Correll. Uh, you know, and to maximize his ability. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think, and, you know, Rock, I mean, Rocco, right Rocco Spindler needs a Harry He stand too. You can name anybody, certainly. Hey, Tim, but, you're supposed to say anybody but Josh Lug. That's why it's good that you finish with Rocco Spindler. We should just <laughs> cut the question right there. <laughs> I think, I think when you take a, a guy as experienced as Josh Lug, he's only been a, a full time starter for one year. But I think ultimately he becomes a, a, a much better football player, more consistent football player under Harry Easton. Whether that's whether that's a popular answer or not, I don't know. But that was all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pander just to finish this question off. Billy Shrouth, right, guys? See, now everybody's excited listening to our podcast again. They're not mad. <laughs> that's how you get clicks. There you go. Question from Pink Robots: Who are the smartest players you've covered at Notre Dame, either academically or anecdotally? from your interactions you guys start because i got a hundred years to recap <laughs> yeah well, i mean like Corey robinson was a pretty smart guy um yeah he was, he was very yeah smart. <laughs> ryan harris uh joe schmidt um i don't i mean they're it's not rare when somebody is really smart drew tranquil uh matthias it, farley Matthias Farley, there are a ton of examples of this. So it's, man, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure who would, I would be like, who is the smartest guy I've ever covered? Because um, there are there are a lot of examples of really smart dudes that play football in Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to get into technicalities as Corey Robinson in terms of being up for the road scholarship, right? He was probably elevated the highest to that um sam mustafer when we joked that he was majoring in football he had one class he was building a robot i couldn't do that so i'm going to say <laughs> sam mustafer's high on the list there um ever met reggie how was in my dad's musculoskeletal anatomy class i can barely say that so he is high on that list and let's not forget paul atkinson we're covering right now i think he probably did a pretty good job of qualifying for his school when he went to yale on a non-scholarship yeah, for me, 
you know, again, spanning four decades, Tim Ruddy, probably like oh, yeah. as far as grade point average, um, starting center on uh, the great 93 team under Lou Holtz. I think just like flat academically, I would say Tim Ruddy over yeah, the course I of four years. Answer. I'm probably, yeah. Like I'm, double major with robotics or something crazy. Yeah, too. I mean, I'm probably forgetting somebody there along the way. And and you guys have said, I mean, Andy Heck was, an, was an, an, another um, uh, great former tight end that moved to tackle. Very, very smart. John Scully, if you go back to Dan Devine, John Scully, uh, Byron Spruill, uh, whose son walked on at Notre Dame. He was a captain in the early days of, of Lou Holtz. Other, I like more, you know, like Brian Kelly guys. Um, I mean, as far as like, you know, Julian Love, as far as understanding and applying cornerback play. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty special right out of the gate. Being able to uh, articulate everything about the game that young was pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, Zach, how, Zach, how about Zach Martin? Again, you know, in intelligence football the smartest players football intelligence academically these i'm just kind of throwing out names i took this as academically but julian love yeah. is a great point because he was really ahead of the game being able to explain things you know julian love though once said the smartest player he's ever known is sean crawford really mm. yeah he said i thought i watched a lot of film and knew a lot of stuff he goes yeah no I, mean, I thought you know i mean i thought Alogi gilman was extremely football smart extremely oh. football smart um, I'm not sure exactly. Pat Eilers also went to Yale. That yeah, been. Pat Eilers too. Pat Eilers too. All right, we, uh, question from Irish from A2. Has the incoming hoops recruiting class saved Mike Bray's job? I, so I have a big basketball story, a rarity um, on The Athletic tomorrow. And I, I talked to Bray about this last week, not this question as it's phrased, but I asked him about like, you know, essentially refining or rediscovering some energy um, around the program this year. And he said, it started with recruiting. Like if, if they couldn't get somebody like JJ Starling in this class, not that he would have been like out the door after the season, but you really would have been staring into abyss at that point, if you're Notre Dame basketball. So I think for, from Bray's point of view, having somebody like Starling, committed signed ready to enroll ideally with Blake Wesley keeps you excited about where Notre Dame basketball can go if that did not happen that way I'm not sure where the program would be I think this would this would feel like a last gasp at making the tournament one time opposed to the ability to sell it as something moving forward he actually said something similar to that yesterday in his press conference about how the recruiting part of it just kind of jump-started everything. I think it's reinvigorated it. He wasn't going to lose his job, um, but it's reinvigorated his position. It makes it offers more hope for the future. Like you, you, you could point out, as long as Blake Wesley returns and they don't have absolutely ridiculous numbers of seniors leaving. I mean, we, we're pretty sure Goodwin's coming. Goodwin and Cormac Ryan are coming back. Cormac Ryan stated he was coming back, so that's pretty good chance. With that recruiting class, it makes next year appealing. It wouldn't even be appealing next year without the recruiting class. Nothing has been appealing for three years because we didn't know Blake Wesley was going to be this good. Going into this year, the appealing thing was all the upperclassmen. And can Blake Wesley help them? Then as Tim pointed out at one point, two weeks in, they're like, whoa, uh, Blake Wesley's going to start. He's not just helping. And then Blake Wesley became an all-league all league rookie. So yeah. 
it looks up. People don't want to hear about how it's looking up, though, because they are, do not enjoy losses wire to wire to Virginia Tech or Florida State. And I, you know, I think finishing second in the ACC. I, I don't know that there was there wasn't a job. It wasn't a job saving. I don't think it was a job saving situation unless this year was just a was a continuation of what had happened the last last couple. Yeah, of years. That I mean, if they're if they're ten and ten in the conference. And four and oh, five but, going into that, or but six. Point, but point taken with the with the class. There's there's no doubt. I think it's it is a combination of things. But Pete, what he told you was something similar to what he said in, in last night's press conference. That um, you know the the recruiting class invigorated everybody, and then you know then you turned your attention to the veteran team that you had, and eventually it eventually rose to uh, rose to the top or rose to the uh, the, the NCAA tournament level. Um, let me, I've got another question here, um, on Twitter. I'm just going to throw this in here. Does Jack from, uh, TDI SU 19, does Jack Swarbrick feel Nording's progress in basketball this year is acceptable or will Bray be put on notice if they don't win at least win at least two games in the NSA tournament? I don't know. Uh, Bray will not be put on notice. Yeah. The tournament has nothing to do with his job. I do contend. I don't know if I said this off the air or maybe it was off. I don't think it was on the air. Pete and I were arguing about it a little bit. I think they have to be Rutgers or just the, the absolute malaise of losing to Rutgers in a playing game and date. I agree. I mean, it's like losing the first game in the ACC tournament as, as, as disheartening as that was. Yeah. Virginia Tech's a good team, man. I mean, that was an unfortunate draw. Well, I, I mean, I think Rutgers, they're fine. They're fine. Rutgers they're a pretty good team. They're the, they're a top forty eight team like Notre Dame, but I mean Virginia yeah. Tech. I think can be a really can can be a really good team. Virginia Tech. That's hey, if, if this is a, this is kind of like earlier in the year we were a little hard on Notre Dame when they lost to St Mary's because St Mary's has proven to be a very good team. But I think all three of us were like, you can't get that win once. Like you're you're six seniors with a great freshman too. They're six seniors. They had to win. They had to win one of the one of those. Get Two one games of games that they lost in Vegas. All right, we'll get this one because it's more important than either one of those. Well, that's true. That's get true. Rutgers. All right, before we go to the last question, I'm, I'm again, I'm going to throw you guys. We didn't we didn't go over these questions, but from Irish Gambler, how do you expect QB reps to be distributed in the spring? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know if Freeman will do it like Kelly. I'm assuming that he will because he'll defer to Reese, and Reese would do it like Kelly would do it, and which was kind of a a 60 40 60 40 is I guess what I would. Te- technically it's probably like a 64 39 two with Steve Angeli being the two um but that's how it's been shoot I mean for the last 12 years right like we go out and the starter gets the majority of the reps the backup comes in gets a few and then the third string guy gets a little bit at the very end does Steve Angeli need any more simply because you don't know what you have there at all. And you do probably need a, I mean, Tyler Buckner's a tremendous runner that's going to get hurt at some point during the season. So do you need to have a third that knows what he's doing? Or is that what the whole summer's for? I, I don't think that's what spring practice is for. No, no. I, I just wonder if he gets a little more because. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's more, that's what the summer's for. Yeah. I mean, third shows str- something in August, he gets a little more in camp. Third string, still third string. Yeah. You know, at, at, at any point of the calendar year. All right, we'll, uh, we will wrap up with a question from Brian Chesnick, and that is, which do you think is more likely, Nording football wins 11 regular season games or Nording baseball punches its ticket to Omaha? 
I, I defer my time to Priester because uh, apparently uh, I, I'm, I knew baseball was really good, but I didn't realize they were this good, dude, which is dude, like I'm t- I'm college World you. Series level. I, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I think there are a lot, I think there are several teams more talented than them. But Link Jarrett is just an, a brilliant baseball coach and his his ability to maximize talent. They just he has he has coached eight ACC road series and he's won them all. That's he's he's won them all. It, it, it is it's absurd. Now, NC State with uh, Link Jarrett's son playing second base for for the Wolfpack. They're a little down. They, they made a run last year. Um, and they lost a lot, so they're a little bit down. But North the eight, they have played eight road series, including two years ago when, you know, the last games that they played of the year was at were at North Carolina. Then the pandemic hit. They won all three games in North Carolina. They have they have won all eight series, and that's they're now on a nine game winning streak. They were elevated number one in the country by Baseball America. And again, are there teams in the SEC and and in the Pac-12 that are more talented than Notre Dame, just sheer talent. There's no doubt about it. I, but, you know, they don't have one of the best hitting teams in the country, but their approach at the plate bridges the gap. They, they Everything they do is so fundamentally sound and so smart, and their pitching is considerably better. They lead the nation in ERA and fielding percentage. You're going to win a lot of games um, that way. So it's a great question. 11, 11 wins during the regular season, I would say there's a there's a better chance that Notre Dame goes to Omaha in baseball. Yeah, 11 wins. How about Notre Dame wins two NCAA tournament games or wins 11? <laughs> Throw that as the, the third option in there. Uh, wow. I think, Notre, no I think Notre Dame can win two yeah, NCAA too. tournament games despite the fact that – They could also lose – I hadn't uh, seen that out. Weird team. <laughs> I suspect that they. Now nah, I'm not even going, going to say. I'm going to get no. We I have think to. It's going to be difficult. We have to uh, guess. We have I, to. <laughs> I am guessing. I am guessing. Not projecting. I'm guessing they win a pick 'em game against Rutgers in the first four. Beat. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Uh, and then then lose to Alabama in San Diego on Friday. I I would say that that if I had to pick a scenario that that would be it. I do agree with what Brace said yesterday that when he blows his top, which has now happened three times, they've responded very well after the first two. Mm-hmm. I think they can, I mean, I, th- Alabama's just not, they're not playing very good basketball right now. They haven't played very good basketball for about six weeks, but they're so, they're so battle tested. That's like the big 10, you know, they have nine teams in a, in the tournament, they uh, that those guys are so battle tested from conference play. Whereas, I mean, the reality in the ACC is you're just not. Yeah. I am considering because I ended up watching some SEC. Never said this before for the NCAA tournament. I'm considering penciling in every first game for an SEC team as a win because they're just it's a really good conference this year with a lot of talent. Now LSU losing their coach, I don't know how that could go one way or the other. I have no idea what will happen there. Right, but boy, that was. That dude's a ticking not losing time their coach, bomb, man. Their coach fired. I guess that yeah, makes it right. right. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't just wander away. <laughs> they probably they, story, yeah, they probably had to fire him because they know the sanctions are going to be extreme. Yeah, and yeah. so they had to do something to. But you know that's that's been an ongoing thing. I think he's a pretty good basketball coach, but he's a 
He's a cheater. cheater. <laughs> There's no other word for it. He's a cheater. He's just a flat out <laughs> cheater. Um, we are going to, uh, that's going to wrap it up here for Irish Illustrated Insider today. We are going to go to, uh, we're going to do a podcast on Friday, right guys? Yeah. Close. Because there's a practice Thursday, a half a practice or a third of a practice for us. They're, they're doing a full practice. We're going to see some of it. <laughs> right. They are doing, we, we, we get five, uh, five periods, which is, as we always say, is basically a body count. I mean, I don't know how you, <laughs> I don't know how you determine more uh, from five periods at start of a football practice. Um, but we'll take what we can get and, and, uh, and it'll get rolling on Thursday. We will, uh, we'll, we'll meet again here uh, for Irish Illustrated Insider on Friday, March 18th. We'll be talking more basketball at that time. Until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, thank you for joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>